Okay, so on Tuesday, we jumped into Chapter 5 on entrepreneurship and talked a lot about kind of what it takes to be an entrepreneur. And it takes a lot of different aspects of uh, leadership. And we said, what was one thing we said about an entrepreneur, kind of a character trait? Risk taker, absolutely. Somebody's willing to take a risk. Somebody's got nerves of steel that is okay not sleeping at night, you know, because of all the different things they've got going on or because their business is so busy they've got to, you know, keep up with all the different aspects of it. Um, being an entrepreneur is a stressful lifestyle. Even if you are a risk taker, just, just, I mean, imagine a gambler that goes into the casino and puts all their life savings on black and then lets the roulette wheel start spinning. You know, that's kind of what an entrepreneur is doing. I mean, you put, you can put a lot of investment, a lot of time, a lot of money, resources into a project and it could just blow up in your face. And so, and especially when you consider the statistics, uh, the stats are very much against you that your business is gonna be a success. Even if you've got a really good business model. Did I tell you guys about Bessie Burgers? Bessie Burgers was this uh, new franchise concept that was started in Clinton, North Carolina, my hometown. And the guy that owned the subway in town, he owned a couple subways, he wanted to develop his own franchise concept. And so he started this company called Bessie Burgers, which the, the hook was, or the, I guess the, the differentiator was, this was a burger that they put on a yeast roll. And yeah, think about like Golden Corral yeast rolls, the real like fluffy rolls, real buttery. And so I went there one time and I got it and I just didn't get it. I tried it and I was like, I just don't like this. It's like yeast roll meets ketchup, mustard, and burger. Yeah. And I just didn't get it. It just didn't work for me. And so I never went back. And several years later, Bessie Burger did not materialize into a franchise. There's no t telling how many tens of thousands, if not over $100,000, this guy put into this concept. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if somebody told me he put, you know, one two hundred thousand dollars or more into the concept because when you walked in it was a nice looking restaurant like steel everywhere you see they had uh the menu boards that are lcd tvs you know really nice concept good logo that kind of stuff so he threw a lot of money at this concept blew up in his face my wife gets mad at me pretty often because i like to watch shark tank and i watch it you know two or three nights a week you know even on reruns i'll catch it just because it's interesting to me as a business person, uh, but in any case, we're watching it last night or the night before last, and there was a pitch for this app called Emergency, and Emergency, except the last part of it was S-E-E, -E, like vision. So these two guys came up there and they started pitching this app about when you have an emergency, you push one button and it transmits your location, your audio comes on, calls 911, it notifies your family, it does all these things you know, to try to help you in an emergency scenario. Kind of like what happened with my emergency SOS on the watch. So these guys had dropped $3 million developing this app and this company, and they hadn't had any profit yet. They hadn't, they, hadn't, they hadn't even launched it yet. And it was just a horror story unfolding in front of my eyes and from the shark's eyes thinking, how are you gonna drop $3 million in something? Number one, these guys were not technologists. They didn't know about app developments. Normally when you have app development, it's somebody that already knows how to do that, and then they develop it, and then they build a team, and it gets better. Um, but somebody coming from the outside like me, I'm not an app developer. If I go and want to develop an app, I'm going to have to spend a ton of cash 
to pay somebody to develop that. And that's what those guys did. And so turns out they didn't get a deal. Well, I went and Googled the app after the fact to read about it. And the guy who dropped $3 million, he doubled down and borrowed another $3 million. So he was in debt $3 million. He, he dropped $3 million his own. He was in debt another three. He ended up committing suicide. The guy that was on Shark Tank. I was shocked. I was like, I couldn't believe it. This guy, you know, is uh, right here in front of me on TV. Went and read about him. Yeah, he died very soon after that. Just because I'm sure the stress was incredible. Same thing happened with uh, a guy on American Greed I saw, I saw recently. This, you know, he got into a real estate deal that just didn't work out. And I know this is two days in a row I've talked to you guys about business and stress and suicide. Not intentional. It just happened that way. Uh, please never consider doing that. But the point to, be, to illustrate is that being in a small business environment, being an entrepreneur, there is some stress associated with it, but there are healthy ways to deal with that stress. One of the best ways to deal with that is to have a mentor and to have somebody that you can lean on during these times that you can be honest with and talk to about your situation, what's going on. So let's recap a little bit just to get us to where we were. We talked about what is a small business, not necessarily um, size is part of it, but you can have a very large business that can still be considered a small business. We talked about some of the statistics about how much employment is contributing to uh, or exists because of small business. 55% of all jobs, yes, yeah, so over half, all contributed from a small business. I talked to, uh, yesterday was a safety fair. I walked around and talked to several uh, vendors and organizations. Um, one of the vendors that was there was Bucks Fire Extinguishers. It's actually Ms. Legrand's husband that owns this company or their family owns it. And he is a small business. They've got several employees. And because of their entrepreneurial spirit, their ability to go out and take this company and run with it, they're able to employ people and provide a means for these people to have an income and a living. And so this story is duplicated all across the United States and the world. People that want to be entrepreneurs and they want to have a business and at some point they may consider hiring somebody and being able to provide them a means of living. So um, I'm going to go ahead and kind of get to where we left off. So we talked about um, how they contribute to the larger economy. They complement large firms. That's something we mentioned. So if you can find a business that uh, needs a service or needs a good, you can step in and complement that business. I mentioned K Chemicals, the chemical company and auditor that, that steps into Audits Walmart. They have a very vibrant business doing that. And so um, entrepreneur, the Texas finds it as a person who organizes and manages any enterprise, especially a business usually with considerable initiative and risk. Referred to as innovators, good at perceiving business opportunities. And so as an entrepreneur, you think about, you look at situations through that lens always. Is this an opportunity or is it not an opportunity? Do, is there an angle here where somebody can fill a need that's not met? Um, when I was a graduate student, I had to come up with a topic to write a dissertation on and the, the way they wanted us to approach our dissertation was find a gap in the literature, meaning that there was an unmet need in the knowledge base. Address something that hasn't been talked about before or from an angle that you want to present. You know, so that's what I set out to do. Entrepreneurs do the same thing. They try to find a gap in the market. They try to find um, a place where some, uh, some need is not being filled. We talked about on Tuesday, like right now we've got 
20 million people plus that are entering into retirement age, the baby boomer population, that is a perceivable opportunity right there. We know, we don't have to look into a crystal ball, we know through statistics that this group of people, this block of individuals is gonna reach that uh, retirement age. What type of things are gonna need? They're gonna need people to provide uh, in-home care services, they're gonna need people to provide uh, like running errands for them and things like that. And so there are some opportunities there. You know, if you're willing to set up a shop and go for it. I had a student in one of my small business management classes um, set up, she had a concept for a company and the company concept was kind of like a, where basically, I'm trying to think, what, what do they call this? It's where they have people that will work like temporary workers, workforce, have anybody heard of that company? Yeah, so the way the concept was is you would get hired by this company and then you would basically be a kind of like a Uber driver or a fill-in person for retail stores. And so like, um, if somebody like had a call out at a retail store and you were available, you set your availability to be during these hours, they could call you in as a backup and you wouldn't be a really a necessarily employee of that organization. You kind of be a contract worker through that other company. And so they're providing stopgap employees. So say like mom and pop bakery, they say, you know, they've only got five employees, but they need all five of them there to do what needs to be done. Well, in the event of one or two of them call out, they could contract with this company and say, every once in a while we might need you to send us a body, just somebody to come in and run a register or do whatever. And so they could make that phone call or put in a request online. Somebody shows up during that time, they said they'd be available. So there's opportunities everywhere. You just have to get a little creative. And if it doesn't work, try something different, you know. Um, saw, saw a concept recently too where they were looking to uh, try to match people with prices online for items they wanted. And so a customer in this concept could go into a website and if they were a partner with this particular application, they could enter a price that they would, would be willing to pay for a product. And when the product went, goes on sale, they get an email saying this product's on sale or has hit that price threshold. And then they can go in and purchase it. So there's all kinds of opportunities. You just have to be a little creative. So these are the attributes of entrepreneurs. We talked about this on Tuesday. Creative, risk tolerant, persistent and resilient. They're flexible and they're passionate. Um, and then, so let's talk about um, some things to consider. So we talked about these things also. You're independent, you have financial gains potentially, control, prestige, the, the, the opportunity to own your own organization or business. You have equity and opportunity. There are some drawbacks, the time commitments, the risks, the uncertainty, the financial commitments. Um, and so, talk about this. So, let me get to where we left off, which is this. So, this is um, steps to starting a business. So if you do decide that you want to be an entrepreneur, you don't necessarily have to go through all this to get started. Once again, remember when we talked about um, the design or business types? You have a sole proprietor, LLC, C-Corp, those different types of business uh, designations. You can just be a sole proprietor and don't necessarily have to go through this list. This is just a list if you're going to go through a formal process. Number one is write a business plan, and I'm going to expand on that in a moment. Get business assistance and training. Choose a business location. Finance your business. What type of legal structure you're going to have. Register a business name. 
Get a tax ID number. You don't have to do that if you're a sole proprietor, by the way. Register for state and local taxes, obtain a business license and permits, and then uh, understand your employer responsibilities if you have employees. And so, um, if you're going to write a business plan, these are the different components that you want to have in it. Anybody know what an executive summary is? So, you've heard of an elevator pitch, right? Elevator pitch? What's an elevator pitch? Elevator pitch is if you get an opportunity to meet somebody that can be a game changer for you, how can you explain to them the value you bring in like one to two to three sentences? Very quick. This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm working on. You know, this is how I can add value to what you, what you bring, you know. And so that's called an elevator pitch. It's a very succinct, concise version of your story. And so an executive summary seeks to do that. You can have a business plan that's 10, 20, 30 pages, but the summary on one page encapsulates the essence of what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, company description kind of expands upon that. A market analysis is a way that we go about trying to understand how you feel an unmet need in the market. You know, if I said I'm going to open up a hamburger stand on Wayne Memorial Drive and I want to get some funding to do that, well, if I do a market analysis and see, well, there's already a Wendy's, a McDonald's, a Hardee's, a PT's, a Highway 55, and I'm sure there's two or three others I'm not naming. Um, what else am I missing on, on Wayne Memorial? It's a hamburger joint. Who? Cookout. Yeah, well, that's, that's over on Berkeley. But, yeah, but still, within a two-mile radius, that's just six hamburger joints. If I go on down to the other end of Berkeley, there's Berkeley's Grill. So there's a bunch of opportunities for hamburgers. So I'd have to have something really special to justify me raising money to open up a hamburger joint on Wayne Memorial Drive. You know, but if I was going to do, like, a new, I don't know, what's something that's different that we don't have that you would love to see in Goldsboro? What is it? Okay, yeah. What is that? I saw it. Basically, uh, like sushi, but like each component is by itself. Oh, so it's like a deconstructed yeah. sushi? Oh, yeah. Well, see, the place that was in there before then, is it the same people or there's a different group of people? Do you know? I, have no idea. I don't either. Well, so I went into the place that was in there before then. It was like, it had chicken in the title. I don't remember what the title was beside Quiznos. Quiznos, anybody remember this? It wasn't there but like six months. It didn't, it didn't last, whatever it was. But I can see the Poke Bowl being successful in, in making it because it's something different, something we don't have. And if it's good food, it definitely will have a good shot. So how's this company going to be organized? How's it going to be managed? What type of particular product or service are you going to offer? What, what, what's going to be your revenue stream? How are you going to make money? Um, how are you going to let people know about it through marketing? Um, what type of funding request are you seeking? How are you going to raise funds? How are you going to raise capital? Are, do you have friends and family that are injecting fifty, a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars in this business? Are you going to try to get a loan from a bank? Are you going to use your assets as collateral, your house, your land, any other assets you might have? And then your projections. What do you think you'll do based on similar companies in similar markets over the first 12, 24, 36 months? You know. These are just, they really are educated guesses, but you can kind of get a sense of that based on similar, you know, companies. Um, I was driving by a restaurant in Clinton the other night uh, after the flat tire, 
and it was called um, Los Vagonias. It's, um, it's a Mexican restaurant in Clinton. Really good place, and my dad and I were talking about it. My dad lives in Clinton, my mom does. And so we were talking about how successful that business is, has become. And I said, you know, I bet he does a really, really good business. I, I would say it would surprise me if he does $3,000 a day in sales at least. And you think about 3000 a day, that's 21000 a week. That's 84000 a month. That's 840000 after 10 months. Add another two months on top of that, that's a million dollars in sales. And just this little, nice little restaurant he's got going right there. And so even if it's half that, that's five hundred k a year in sales. I mean, so somebody's doing very well. And so right there, I just did a basic financial projection based on an educated guess of what I know that restaurants can do. I used to work in the restaurant business. And so I've seen sales of what restaurants will do on like a dinner, uh, dinner and lunch uh, time rush. So, all right, any questions about any of this about business plans? It can be even more involved than this, uh, but it can also be very, very small. You don't, you don't really need a business plan. Um, That's terrible for me to say as a business teacher. The the time you want to have one is when you're starting to cycle up into taking it to the next level. If you're starting out as a sole proprietor, um, a lot of sole proprietors don't do the legwork of having a plan, but if you're going to go and set up a formal business and put some serious money into it, yeah, you want to have a business plan because you want to understand uh, how where the capital is going to come from, how much things are going to cost. You want to have a kind of a rudimentary budget in place to understand this is what my overhead is going to be month to month. These are all the bills I'm going to have to cover. I'm going to have to raise this much money each month to cover those bills. So you want to kind of know that stuff ahead of time. And so take advantage of free training and counseling services from preparing a business plan and securing finances to expanding or relocating a business. Um, I mentioned it. I didn't bring the flyer with me, but I'm going to keep reminding you about October 2nd, which is the interview with Patricia De Lamotte. She's a student and owner of Once Upon a Child. She's been through this. She's been through, hey, sir. Good to see you. She's been through training services. She's been through getting help with a business plan. She's been through seeking help from a tax accountant to help lower her tax uh, liability. She's been through re- relocating a traditional retail business and expanding a retail business. So she's been through all that. And she can tell you the good, the bad, the ugly, but she's still standing. She's been in business for 20 years. That is a huge testament to a good business person that's able to take a concept and run with it and keep it going. Um, she bought into a franchise. This was the Once Upon a Child concept. But just because you buy a proven system, buying into a franchise doesn't guarantee success. It does take a lot of effort. It takes a lot of hustle to keep something going. And so these are things that you want to also keep in the periphery. Uh, you want to have a location. Hey, Raboli. I have to introduce Raboli if you haven't met this guy. This is Sir William Raboli. If you haven't taken psychology, please take it with this man. It will change your life. And I mean that. I'm not being facetious when I say that. So. What class are you in right now? What are we in right now? I forget. Intro to business. Intro to business.
You gotta listen to this guy. His touch is golden. That's why I hang around him. I like to make fun too. And I hang around this guy because anything he touches turns to gold. I give him advice and then he lets me crawl on his shoulder. And that's, you know, that's how that's how I run the I've got him an idea man. Yeah. But he's, he's the one that actually does we, we bounce off each other. Does the work, yeah. But um, to keep bragging on Bill, he's got 20 years in the field, practical experience in counseling, uh, master's in psychology, pursuing a doctorate in social psychology, and so just a tremendous wealth of knowledge. And plus you get to hear about really cool, interesting stories when you take his class, the things that happen in case studies in psychology and things like that, things that'll blow your mind, have you talking to your friends and buddies about, so yeah, interesting stuff. I can read minds too. So. Wow, he can, it blow, yeah, he can read minds, yeah, so. Closest thing to a Jedi personified you'll get right here, folks. So. That's right. Well, y'all listen to this guy. All right. Hey, tomorrow, um, I may not do lunch. I'll let you know. Because uh, we got Ava's beta club thing. So. Uh, okay. Yeah. All right, man. Thanks for coming by to see us, Mr. Roboli. All right, buddy. All right. So, other things you want to keep in mind. Back to business. So, customer-friendly location. Is this location that you want to open a traditional business going to be able to be found? Um, for me, unless you've got something really special, I'm very anti-physical business in the early part of your business. Online, it's kind of where it's at, right? I mean, even with businesses that like you may want to go to, like the only like traditional retail store that I go in often is a grocery store. I mean, does anybody go into a traditional retail store often that's not a grocery store? Only when I can't wait for the meal. Right, right. So like. I mean, I just don't go into just random stores nowadays unless it's for food or something very specific that I can't wait for, can't, that I can't get off Amazon or another online retailer. So um, assessing the supply chain, are you going to be able to get to the products and services components that you need in a timely way? If you're going to set up shop somewhere and the things you need are imported, is that going to be a problem? Zoning laws, make sure that you're able to be in compliance with that and uh, wherever you set up shop are you going to be in compliance with the zoning laws scope uh, scoping the competition yeah I remember the, the hamburger conversation I just had if you want to open up another hamburger joint on Wayne Memorial that could be a risky endeavor because there are just so many of them um, demographics uh, what does your customer base look like what is your average age what is your average income how often do they buy your particular product or service those are things you want to know staying on budget and then understanding state laws and taxes when it comes to staying on budget i heard a quote earlier this week said in business you want to be overcapitalized and overpatient meaning that you need more money than you think you're going to need and that's a true statement um so any questions on any of this okay all right so the small business administration offers a variety of loan programs for very specific purposes. Take some time to study the programs described on their website to learn more about which types of businesses qualify for different loans. Um, the best loan to get is a loan from yourself. I know that's, yeah, I know that's kind of counterintuitive, but if you're thinking about going to a business, the best thing you could do is start saving money right now. Uh, you know, it may take a year or two to get enough cash to kind of get the thing going. But if you do that, you're taking 100% of the risk yourself. You don't have a loan that you're accountable to. You don't have somebody that you pay back. You know, that's the best way to bootstrap a business is to 
self-finance. I know sometimes it seems like, oh my God, that's impossible. It's not. It may take two years, three years, five years to get it going, to get the money going, but you can open up a small business to raise money to fund the big business that you want to do, you know? So let's say, let's do a concept real quick. Let's say that you want to open up a t-shirt company, okay? But you feel like you need 20K to do that. Well, you may not can jump in and start making t-shirts today, but what if you made another small company, I don't know, you open up a, just a, you said, I'm gonna open up a small food truck, you know, and I'm gonna do festivals, I'm gonna do weekends, whatever it may be, and I'm gonna try to raise enough money to fund the 20K I need for the t-shirt company. So you open up a small food truck, let's say you've only got 5K right now saved, you need 20. So you go out and get a, get a small food truck, I mean, very small, very basic, you know, you've got something to haul around for, get all your permits in place, you get your food, you go around, you start, start moving around, trying to generate some, some revenue. Your first, first month, let's say you only make $300 your first month, you know. It's not, it's not horrible, it's 300 bucks, you know, you made something. So you put that in the pot, saving it for your big business that you want, your big dream you want to go for. So you keep grinding, you know, a couple months from now you start making 500 a month, then you start making $1,000 a month. And all of a sudden, that dream of hitting that 20K comes together real quick and you think, if I do this $1,000 a month for another 12 months, I'm gonna be there. I'm gonna hit my goal with that 20K I need to do my t-shirt. And it gives me the time I need to study this business, the t-shirt company, and it gives me time to understand all the ins and outs about how to find funding and financing so uh, for uh, lines of credit for bigger you know, orders and things like that. So yeah, so self-fund if you can, save your money. That's the best way to, to do it. So we talked about business formats, decide which form is best. Remember we said sole proprietor, LLC, C-Corp, those types of uh, organizations. It really, and I'm gonna keep repeating myself on this, really is best to consult a tax uh, accountant in this scenario, just because they can give you good feedback on what your goals are and how that aligns with taxation. I can't stress this enough. See, this is why you're in business school to hear stuff like this, because if you didn't come to business school and learn this type of stuff, you just go open up a business and not think about the tax implications. Before you know it, Uncle Sam is gonna come after you and it's gonna be scary because he's gonna, I mean, if you do like 50K profit your first year, Uncle Sam's gonna want a big cut of that, you know? And so you've got to figure out a way to open up a, a form of structure to limit your personal tax liability, number one, but also limit the company's tax liability if possible. And so consulting with a tax accountant is gonna give you an edge on that. And you already have an edge understanding that on the front end. Most people that are going into entrepreneurship or opening a business don't think about that until, that, oh, that's an afterthought. You know, I'll worry about that. I'll worry about taxes when I start making money. No, you should think about it right now because you can structure the business in a way that will save you money, thousands over many years, if you consider it on the front end. The big difference is, again, sole proprietor, you're still taxed at the individual level. LLC, still taxed at the individual level, but you have some limited liability because of the business formats. And then a C-Corp, you're taxed at the corporate level, meaning that the, the profits can be retained. You don't tax at the individual level until you take out payouts. But, you know, there is this thing of double taxation we talked about last chapter about that. Um, I like the idea of retaining profits in the C-Corp and then just taking uh, distributions or uh, letting the company pay for other benefits like a car or like cell phone services or gas that could be company expenses that you use for legitimate company means, but you're not having to pay those personally. So let's say open up a company, let's say they make cookies, 
And so cookie company makes a hundred grand first year. I take zero dollars as a as a employee or as an owner. All the profits retain in the company, they pay their taxes, company rates. But the next year the company says, Well, Ryan, you're an owner, you didn't take any profit last year, but we're gonna buy or lease a company car to help you run these cookies around and do your business. So we're gonna give you a car, we're gonna give you a credit card for $500,000 a month to put gas on for meals, corporate related, of course. And you start to see how these fringe benefits start to be paid by the company, which is a write-off for the company. You know, the company gets to use those as a legitimate expense. And now you get zero tax liability from a personal standpoint. You're not taxed because it's not income. It's a benefit that you're using the corporate, you know, corporate benefit. And so, then it graduates, you know, year two, you get to $250,000 of sales. So by year three, the company says, well, we want to put you up in a house. We're going to buy a corporate house and we're going to pay, your, pay the mortgage on it and you just live there. So now all of a sudden, you're not getting any income. You still got your primary job. You got your cookie company, but it's paying your house payment. It's paying your car payment. It's paying for your gas, paying for some of your food. You start to get the picture. You feel me what I'm saying, right? So now you're seeing, oh... And guess what? This is exactly how rich people do it. They open up a company, they let the company do these types of things in the company's name. My dad went to a house recently. He's a, he does uh, some sales, he's retired, but he went to a house, somebody from their church. He walks in the house, this house was 11,000 square feet. Lewis knows how big that house is, right? 11,000? My parents live in a 4,200 square foot home, which is huge. This is three times the size of their house. I mean, massive. And the house is in the corporation's name. They own a, ma- they own a major corporation that does multiple millions of sales in a year. And that company provides that home to them. If they had to pay the mortgage on a house like that, no telling, three to $5,000 a month probably for a mortgage like that. And so the company covers that. That's, you know, company paid. So, yeah, that's the kind of ways that you guys need to be thinking if you're going to go and do entrepreneurship. And guess what? You don't have to do a multi-million dollar a year company to do that. You can have a company that makes 20 grand a year, and that 20 grand in profit can still pay for some of those incidentals I talked about. It could still lease a car for you or buy a used car or something for you, just as an example, to use as a company used car. So, All right, so register your business name with your state government. Naming your business an important branding exercise, absolutely. You want to pick something that stands out, something that will be memorable. It's definitely something not cheesy. It's a good idea to bounce your name off several people. You know, write down several different types of names, different ways of uh, doing it, and um, make sure that you get some feedback. There's a brand that I really like. It's called the Woolly Mammoth Woolen Company. Woolly Mammoth Woolen Company. And what does the Woolly Mammoth Woolen Company make? They make really nice wool blankets. And they're really long. They're like nine feet long. They're wide. They're like six feet wide. So I got one last year, and I liked it so much that I bought my mom one for Christmas. Um, But here's the thing about Woolly Mammoth Woolen Company. They have a great logo, clean websites. But what's the problem with Woolly Mammoth Woolen Company? It's a mouthful. And most people can't say it without getting tongue twisted, right? And here's another problem. If you want to visit their website, guess what you have to type in? Woolly Mammoth Woolen Company. And I'm like, you couldn't go with WMWC.com, you know, or something like that. I mean, that's or WMWCompany.com. 
Yeah, I mean, they, they, they just made some mistakes, in my opinion, with the title or the name and the, the branding. If, if I was their marketing person, I would either call it Wooly or Mammoth or something like that and just go with that, you know, just let it be whatever that is, you know. But, you know, I'm sure if we, they were here, they would debate why they went with that. So, But, yeah, so you can see naming is an important exercise. If you choose to name your business as anything other than your own personal name, then you need to register it with the appropriate authorities. This is known as registering your doing business as DBA name. And so uh, if you, like I said, if it's anything other than your name uh, and, you know, like if I open up a car dealership and uh, I'm the sole proprietor of this and I call it ABC Auto, for example, I can say ABC Auto is, is you know, Ryan Bradshaw is doing business as ABC Auto. That's how that would, that would work in that example. So, All right, learn which tax identification number you'll need to obtain from the IRS and your state uh, revenue agency. And employer identification number, uh, EIN, is also known as federal tax identification number and is used to identify a business entity. Generally, businesses need an EIN. You may apply for an EIN in various ways, and now you may apply online. I've done this before. I opened up an LLC and I got an EIN. It was very simple. Um, didn't take me less than a couple hours to do that. And so um, I'll say when you open up a business or, or do, do things in the entrepreneur, entrepreneurship vein, you have some anxiety. You know, like, am I doing this right? Should I be doing this? Is this going to work? Am I doing all this work for, for nothing? But, <clears throat> you know, you should still do it. You should give it a shot because uh, you never know what you're going to learn, what you're going to experience. And as long as you're trying to limit your personal financial exposure where it's not going to do too much damage to you individually if it doesn't go, doesn't go well, you need to try. You need to experiment. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've talked, learned about an entrepreneur, and they tell me something like, oh, man, I tried all these different concepts before, and a lot of them didn't work. But that led me to the one thing that did work. You know, Mark Cuban, anybody know Mark Cuban? He owns the Mavericks as being there he uh he's famous for saying that he's tried many different business concepts uh before he finally had that one deal the one deal that made him a billionaire and so that's what it takes you know you have to experiment and you shouldn't be afraid to take a risk so register your state um, to obtain tax identification number workers compensation unemployment and disability insurance an accountant or lawyer can explain your state's requirements for filing various forms and for taxes yeah, you always want to consult with experts. They do cost a little bit of money, but it's worth it for the peace of mind to know that you've got an advocate that's going to give you good information to help you make sure you've got all your stuff together. Get a list of federal, state, and local licenses and permit required for your business. Federal, if your business is involved in activities uh, supervised and regulated by federal agencies, such as selling alcohol, firearms, commercial, fishing, etc., you may need to obtain a federal license or permit. Uh, virtually every business needs some form of license or permits to operate legally in the state. However, licensing and permit requirements vary depending on what type of business you're operating, where it's locating, <coughs> and what government rules apply. So, I had an eBay business that I was running out of my house, and I changed vendors toward the end of it, and the vendor required me to have a permit. I, I didn't need one otherwise to operate, but the vendor had to have a permit. So I went to the courthouse to get a permit. They didn't know how to give me a permit because it's not a physical presence, you know. So they ended up giving me a peddler's permit to operate, like, out of my car, you know, if I had to, if I had to operate like that or out of my house. 
but they, I ended up getting a permit and I ended up turning it over to the vendor. And the vendor relationship was horrible. I'll tell you about that another time, but uh, they were basically sending me product that was damaged and missing product and stuff like that. All right. To help you identify the specific licenses or permits your uh, business area needs, you need to visit the State Bureau License Office for the area where your business is located. You can also go by your local courthouse and they can give you some guidance on that. So learn the legal steps you need to take to hire employees. To do this, consult with an accountant or lawyer to get expert advice on employee law and find out what's required. Many counties and nonprofits such as school offer free advice. Check out the eight steps for hiring process in the chapter reading. And yeah, I mean, you may at some point have to graduate to hire a part-time person to start out. Uh, and you want to make sure you're doing everything that needs to happen to make sure it's done correctly. So, all right, very briefly before we leave, I'm just gonna talk about the components uh, of the business plan. Oh, we've already talked about that. That was the overview we did a while ago. So the, those executive summary, company description. All right, last piece right here. I'll have to consider the most important section of business plan. This is the executive summary should highlight the strengths of your overall plan and therefore be the last section you write. So after you write the whole business plan, you do the executive summary. Several key points that your executive summary should include established business mission statements, company information, growth highlights, product services, financial information, summarize future plans. Um, for new business, not as much information as co uh, established companies. Instead, focus on your experience and background as well as the decision that led you to start this particular enterprise. So, this is a good uh, ending point for Chapter 5. If you guys have any questions, let me know. Uh, please be checking your emails. I send out a lot of good information there. And you guys have a great weekend. I'll see you next week, okay?